Hi, I'm Peggy. And I'm Dave. And this is Amped. Hey, Dave, how are you today? I'm excellent, Peggy. How are you doing? Good to hear. Good to- I'm not excellent, but I'm good. All right. Well, so, good is better than bad. Good is better than bad, so I'm taking it, yes. But I wish I- maybe someday I'll be excellent, but it's rainy and cold and just nasty out, so... Really? I guess that's what we have to expect up here in New York, because yesterday it was rainy and nasty, but right now it's sunny and quite nice. Yeah, not here. Yesterday it was nice in Virginia, so I think we just swapped. Hmm. I don't think that's the way weather works, though. Well, I think it did in this case. (laughs) I don't think the New York weather goes to Virginia, and then Virginia weather goes to New York just flipping. It could. Well, obviously it does, because that's what happened. (laughs) I I think that's finding causation. I'm good with that. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Science be damned. That's right. That's right. Uh, So today um, we have kind of a fun podcast where we're going to go back and visit pre-existing condition exclusions. Indeed. This is – we were thinking about sort of what's what's front and center right now as we look towards the elections in the first week of November. And when you think about healthcare specifically, pre-existing condition exclusions and protections against against them really I think are the hot one hot button issue in healthcare. I think it's the most important issue. It's one that has polled on both sides of the aisle very positively. People, whatever you think about the Affordable Care Act, people, whether you're Republican or Democrat, like the fact that there are no pre-existing condition exclusions anymore. And so that's a real key issue in the upcoming election and, and navigating your way around that and understanding how it how it could be affected by uh, different, different policies and different candidates is something that we think is really important. So we're going to dive into that today. And another reason that that we chose to kind of cover an election-ish topic today is because tomorrow, which is the day that this is coming out, so today is the last day to register to vote for the midterm elections in many states. So if, if you care about these issues and have not yet registered to vote, then you need to do that now. Yes, get thee to a registration station and or websites or or however you do it. Get her done. Absolutely. So in this podcast, we're going to talk about a few things. We're going to revisit what pre-existing conditions are, how they've historically been treated by insurance companies, how the Affordable Care Act affected pre-existing conditions coverage, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up with what's at stake in this year's elections around this issue. Sounds good. Uh, If you remember, so we've talked about pre-existing conditions, exclusions, and the Affordable Care Act numerous times, Dave. It's probably one of the most most talked about podcast topics that we've had. Um, But just to remind everybody, a pre-existing condition is something that predates your health insurance enrollment, like limb loss, right? So I was an amputee well before... I, I started with the insurance company that, that we're starting with. So my my limb loss, my amputation is considered a pre-existing condition because it was there before before I went for the insurance. 
Um, it does not describe, it does not have like a list of conditions. So it's not like insurers pull out a spreadsheet and say, you know, these are what we consider to be pre-existing conditions. Basically, it can range anything from cancer to heart disease to amputation to more benign type things like acne. Basically, it's anything that you might have sought medical care for in the past that has come up again. Uh, they're very, very common. Uh, some estimates have that at least more than 25% of people under 65 have pre-existing condition. And it's safe to say as you get older, that number just increases exponentially. Yep, no doubt. And the history of pre-existing conditions is an interesting one, Peggy. Uh, before 1996, uh, insurers could simply deny access to a policy at all because someone had a pre-existing condition. So uh, an example we give in our show notes, you know, assume that Jane, who's a below the knee amputee and who's working, has the opportunity to get a great new job at a new company doing exactly what she wants to do. And she lost her leg below the knee while an employee of the company she's currently working for. And that company continued to have to provide insurance coverage to her uh, because she'd paid her premiums forever and had done everything she was supposed to do. But now she wants to switch and go to this life-changing new job. And the insurance... Good yeah, for Jane. Jane's happy, right? Jane's done everything we want Jane to do. The problem is when Jane speaks to the new employer and starts talking about health insurance, she realizes, this is prior to 1996, they're not going to offer me coverage. I have a pre-existing condition and there is no protection at all against that insurer asserting a pre-existing condition exclusion against me and refusing not only to cover the condition, but refusing to offer any type of health insurance to me. And so this created in the pre-1996 world a, a, a problem that was generically called job lock. Basically, people with pre-existing conditions were trapped in the jobs that they had. They couldn't move from one job to another because they were afraid of losing the insurance that they had. And this isn't good for the economy. This isn't good for individuals. And so in 1996, a, a law was passed that everyone is familiar with because you think of it more as a privacy law. But the law is the Health Insurance Portability and, Account and Accounting Act, Accountability Act, excuse me, HIPAA. And one of the provisions in the HIPAA law was a prohibition on the unilateral use of pre-existing condition exclusions. So as long as you maintained continuous coverage, you went from policy A to policy B without a more than 63-day gap in coverage, you could go from one policy to the other and the second insurer could not assert a pre-existing condition exclusion against you. And even if you had had a break in coverage, I had been uninsured for three years, but now got a job. The, pre, the HIPAA protected me from a permanent pre-existing condition exclusion. I'd have to pay for the policy for a year and I couldn't get coverage for that 12 months for the pre-existing condition. I would have coverage for everything else. And then once I paid premiums for 12 months, I could get coverage for everything. Um, so those were the really important protections that HIPAA offered. Now, to be clear, it wasn't as it wasn't as positive as what the Affordable Care Act created because there were still some pre-existing condition uh, gaps that HIPAA did not address, most notably in the individual health insurance market. 
And in the individual market, Peggy, which is where the exchanges are today, in the individual market under HIPAA, while an insurer couldn't assert a pre-existing condition exclusion against you permanently, they could charge you more. And so what happened in the individual market between 1996 and passage of the Affordable Care Act was these individual plans, if you had a pre-existing condition, you might be charged a premium that was as much as the cost of your health care for the, for the pre-existing condition. So effectively, you were priced out of the market. That's not no, going to make Jane, Jane very happy. Jane, if she was in the individual market, no. would not be happy. Uh, but in the group health yes. insurance market through employers post-1996 would have been much happier than she was prior to 1996. But what would have made Jane the most right. happy, Peggy? So, and then the Affordable Care Act came into play. Um, and for the first time, it eliminated pre-existing conditions by uh, doing several things. First is they uh, developed risk pools by addressing the, yes. Uh, for insurance at work, risk pools must be as large as possible because if you have a large number of people, then you're able to kind of offset the risk a little bit because chances are most of those people are going to be relatively healthy and their health insurance isn't going to cost their needs are not going to be as high as other people. So the idea is you have as many people as possible in this in this pool so that it kind of offsets the costs of the few that may be more expensive than the other. Um, if you have a risk pool of only very sick patients, um, obviously those costs are going to be a lot higher. And if it, it's not a good business model, that that would bankrupt the insurance yeah, companies. Yeah, I mean, correct? You've, you've described the concept perfectly. If you have yeah. risk pools that are comprised only of sick people, it's not it's not a viable business model. If you have risk pools that are very diverse, some sick people, some really healthy people, insurance works. And that's the principle on which insurance is based. It's collecting premiums for events that you will not have to pay out on is what allows you to then pay for the bad events. Right. Um, so the Affordable Care Act came in and for the first time required that everybody, including healthy people, including you know, the 20-year-olds the who never had a health problem and are feeling invincible. And in my mind, that's typically the, po the population fresh out of college, that sort of thing, where if when you first start off, you know, you have your first apartment, you have student loans, you have a car payment. If something was going to be cut to save money, it was typically going to be the health insurance. For the first time, the Affordable Care Act came in and said, no. Even though you're healthy, we applaud you for that. You still need to get in one of these pools. You still have to help health insurance. Um, and they did so by instilling a financial penalty against those who chose to not take advantage of the Affordable Care Act exchanges or their employer's insurance and did not get themselves insured. Um, and then they worked on making sure that people could buy insurance on the individual market through the exchanges. And again, there are many, there are many subsidies that help with the exchange costs, but the idea is you have all of the people who might have decided to forego insurance before make the assumption that these people tend to be relatively healthy and don't, don't consider that they have a high need for insurance. They need to be in these pools because it offsets the cost of people who are like, oh, yeah, I need health insurance. I have this and this and this. That and is this a great description, Peggy. It also, the, the, the Affordable Care Act also created some protections against some of the classic historical workarounds. 
against pre-existing condition exclusions. So uh, the Affordable Care Act prohibited insurers from charging higher premiums for people with pre-existing conditions, and it prevented them from imposing waiting periods on people with pre-existing conditions. So uh, not only did it eliminate uh, pre-existing condition exclusions as something that uh, could could uh, prevent people from having coverage for a particular condition, but it also prevented insurance companies from doing the kinds of things that resulted in effectively limiting their access to coverage for those items, either through uh, lengthier time to lengthier waiting periods to get the insurance or higher costs associated with insurance for pre-existing conditions. So that's the history, Peggy. Should we turn to what's at stake in this election? We should. As everybody should know by now, we are in a midterm election year. Uh, so it's not a year where we're voting on the president race, but there's a lot of congressional seats that are up, up, up in the air um, and up for grabs, basically. So we want everybody to, to be educated on what issues we feel impact the limb loss, limb difference community, just that issue. And I, Dave, I think it's important to to explain to people again that when we look at these things, we, we're not wearing a Democrat or Republican hat. We're really just looking at through the eyes of, is this pro-amputation limb loss or will this hurt the community? Amen. All right. So why don't you start with what's at stake in this election? Okay. So um, a, a few things that are relevant here. Uh, first of all, there's the 2017 tax bill uh, that was passed that eliminates the penalty for not having health insurance. So one of the key elements of the Affordable Care Act was everyone has to get insurance. And the way we're going to try to uh, force people to buy it is by penalizing them if they don't get it. 2017 tax bill eliminated that. And so that increases the chance that healthy people may choose to go without insurance. And it also increases the likelihood that the risk pool that Peggy so beautifully described earlier could get smaller overall. There'll be fewer people in it. And the people who remain are likely to be sicker because healthy people are the ones who are going to choose to go without insurance, not sick people. So uh, that's the first key thing to keep in mind as you think about this election. Um, the second is there is a pending lawsuit. It's actually in Texas federal court arguing that the Affordable Care Act is now unconstitutional. And this was a lawsuit filed by 18 Republican attorneys general and two Republican governors. If successful, it will eliminate the prohibition on pre-existing condition exclusions. Also, interestingly, Peggy, not something I knew before doing the research for this podcast, because HIPAA was largely incorporated into the Affordable Care Act, including the HIPAA provisions around pre-existing condition exclusions. If the Affordable Care Act does get declared unconstitutional in this lawsuit, it's possible that we'll be looking at a world that goes back to the pre-1996 days, where effectively there may be no prohibitions against pre-existing condition exclusions at all, meaning that insurance companies could say, I refuse to offer coverage to anyone with a pre-existing condition. Um, where do we stand on that lawsuit? The Trump administration to date has not opposed the part of the lawsuit relating to pre-existing conditions and their, their uh, you know, the stripping back or the declaring unconstitutional of the provisions that include the prohibition on pre-existing conditions. Trump administration has not opposed that in its legal briefs. Uh, so that, that's a really important point. There's a lot of rhetoric around this. And Republicans and Democrats both say 
we want to have pre-existing condition exclusion protections. Uh, but you have to look past the rhetoric, as we'll talk about in a second, well and really done, look Dave. at the implications of what's happening, not just what's being said. Sure, I, I will do my best. So would you like to, would you uh, like to try to tie all of this up and summarize uh, it neatly for us? Pre-existing condition exclusions, we continue to feel, is a key issue for the community. Um, if If you're living with limb loss, limb difference, or an amputation, or anything like that, you have a pre-existing condition that is, you know, it, it's going to predate when you go to get new insurance or change insurers. It is something that is going to impact you at some point in your life. Uh, we are more protected against pre-existing condition than ever before, exclusions than ever before. And we need to make sure that those protections don't get chiseled away um, and they are at risk. So, you know, as, as the Affordable Care Act is being, you know, dismantled and changed, we really need to remain vigilant to make sure that those pre-existing condition um, exclusions, that, that the pre-existing condition protections that we have now remain strong. Um, so when you're looking to vote this November, you need to look beyond the rhetoric, like Dave said, um, it's impossible to provide protection against pre-existing condition exclusions and repeal the Affordable Care Act. Um, basically, the the prohibition on pre-existing conditions has historically worked because of the mandate that you have to buy insurance. The mandate that you have to buy insurance, even if you are healthy, offset those risk pools. So that kept the insurance companies financially viable. If you take away that mandate, then we really have to, to watch carefully to make sure that, that insurers don't start chipping away at some of those pre-existing condition protections that we have by, by pointing out they're going to be struggling more. If, if healthy people are not going into these pools and are not getting insurance, then insurance companies are going to be forced to look at what they're doing and who they're covering and how they're covering them. And that's where things can start being chiseled away and changed. Um, whatever your thoughts are politically, um, it's important that you know and that you find out where your candidates stand on pre-existing condition protections and vote, uh, regardless of how you vote, it's important that you vote this November. Yeah, and and this isn't to say that there isn't some solution out there that one of the parties hasn't, that a candidate from one of the parties hasn't proposed before that will get proposed. So we're not saying, again, it's not necessarily a purely Democratic or purely Republican issue the way we're trying to frame this. We're simply saying, look at what candidates are saying around pre-existing condition protections and ask yourself, does what they're saying make sense? Can you achieve pre-existing condition protections while advancing the particular health policy that the candidate is more broadly advocating for, or are those things fundamentally at odds with each other? If they're at odds with, with each other, that would suggest that a candidate is saying something you want to hear, uh, but that they won't actually be able to execute on it. If on the other hand, 
the the broader healthcare proposals they're putting on the table make sense and protect pre-existing condition exclusions. That's exactly the kind of policy that we at AMPT would support well, and that we Dave, would encourage our you, AMPT you Army members summarize to summarize far more eloquently than I have, but no, that's all right. I will remind people, though, that if you have not yet registered oh, no, to I vote, you need true. to do that today. Okay. Yes. <laughs> well, I have nothing. I have I no more wisdom it. to add so, other than a than a vote. A, find yes, out where they stand. You know, we we at AMPT feel very strongly yes. that we have to protect the pre-existing uh, condition protections that we have now. Um, so, you know, become educated. Know that although it may not be a highly talked about talking point with the rhetoric right now it is still something that's very much alive out there and that we need to stay on top of sounds good to me you too we'll talk soon i'm signing off bye it was great talking to you peggy have a good week bye